This episode is about Gerlin. She's the founder of Tourist Modernist and literally turned her curiosity into a business. She was always a fan of modernist architecture, so one day she decided to ring the doorbells of modernist homes to ask if she could come inside and take pictures. And now she is organizing tours in those modernist homes for other people, and she even wrote a book about it. She will teach you what to do when you feel overwhelmed by your goals and how to break them down into small, manageable steps. Welcome, Herlin. Hi, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Who are you and what's your passion? Yeah, so I'm Herlin. I'm uh, almost 35 years old and my passion is modernist well one of my passions i don't want to call it my only passion is modernist architecture and that's what my project tourist modernist which is it's written in flemish with oe but it translates pretty well also in english is about basically mapping this kind of architecture in belgium or also beyond belgium because when i travel i also like to discover architecture yeah that and, in short yeah. that's my project i guess yeah, and that's what I noticed uh, about you. So I did my research as well online. Mm -hmm. And immediately I saw like, okay, she is passionate about architecture. And when, so we're filming at your home, we're doing the podcast at your home. And the minute I walked in, I was like, okay, yeah, this this is someone with a passion for art architecture. Because like you see it, I don't know if you see it on camera, but like the vibe here is exactly like how I would it expect to be. <laughs> So uh, it's it's really authentic uh, to see that, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think uh, the way I came to it was really the aesthetic side of it. So I was al I've always been surrounded by things that I really like, and I'm very particular about the things that I like. So that's of course reflected in my in my home. So I think that's also the starting point of of what I do. I think, yeah. Yeah, and I'm also curious because you, with Tourist Modernist, you have a Instagram page, you have a book, you have guides, but take me back to like your aha moment. Like what, when was the aha moment that you decided to, okay, I'm going to go after this? Uh, when did that happen? Not so long ago, in September 2021. Well, maybe it wasn't one aha moment, I would say it's more of, a, yeah, not not like one moment, it was a tra trajectory, but it wasn't really a decision that I made. It was more I was working in my former job as a, I did administration for artistic freelancers, which was okay enough. It paid the bills. And then during COVID, we didn't have so much work because COVID. But after a while, we got more and more work and work became really stressful. And then I was trying to juggle two different projects next to my job and also having a life. And I basically had a burnout in the summer of 2021. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was home for almost two months. I, I guess I was on sick leave. And how, how did that look like being home for two months with a burnout? <laughs> Not good. A lot of crying. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was just exhausted, I think. Exhausted um, of? A combination of trying to do too many things, probably not resting enough. And then I, I was really not happy in this job. And I had been applying for other jobs, but nothing was really happening. And I... I mean, I wanted to work more on tourism than this, but it's not like I made enough money off of it. So it didn't seem like the kind of thing to do at the time. But after a couple of weeks at home, I decided to quit my job, even though I didn't know what would happen afterwards. I just felt like I need to do this. I needed to make a decision. If, even after two weeks of being at home, I, like, I couldn't find any rest because I knew I would have to go back at some point and I really didn't want to. So I quit my job in the summer 
and then my last day was in the middle of September. But I am I was kind of lucky I guess because the job where I worked I learned a lot about the administrative side of freelancing, of building an organization, how can you pay yourself, how do the contracts work, how does do the taxes work, how does it work in Belgium because it's extremely complicated. And I already knew I didn't want to be self-employed because it would be a, a huge stress to earn enough money and I could feel that I also needed, you know, to take to take some rest. But on one of the last days, one of my colleagues said, well, maybe you can try and apply for the Kunstenaarsstatut, which is like an artist status, I guess. When you do artistic work, you can get the status in Belgium and it means that you get unemployment benefits. So you get money from the government as if you were unemployed, but then the days that you do work, that you are working under contract, you don't get the money. So they they kind of support you financially, I guess. Okay. Because artistic work is often like some weeks you'll work a lot and then other or like you, money will come in and other weeks you're working on something and money won't come in. Mm-hmm. And also at this point, I knew I was going to make a book for my editor, Luster, and I really wanted to take the time. So it was a combination of, of things. I don't think it was an aha moment. It was more a moment of crisis where I decided... I need like I needed to quit my job and then see what happens and, and then gradually yeah yeah it and, made and sense in that moment of crisis eh? so take me back to that that summer okay and then you decided to quit your job but you not knowing like what was going to be your next adventure mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. or your ne- next yeah. job yeah exactly. okay but you still made that decision yeah yeah I did I, uh, it felt like the only thing to do at that point and I guess I'm a little bit of a risk taker I've I quit two other jobs before that job. Uh, well, with those jobs, they did fire me, which meant that I got immediately got like unemployment uh, money, which I wouldn't have now. Okay. But I knew that in the end, I would, you know, I would find a solution. Why? It's, why did I uh, fire you? Fire oh, but, no, because I asked them. Because I asked. Oh, oh because okay. I was like, I, I, I want okay, to look okay. for something else, and they were very okay. kind. And I thought uh, you misbehaved. Uh, no, no, <laughs> okay. no, no, okay. no. Cool. <laughs> nothing like that unfortunately nothing okay. so exciting so you're a risk taker i think that's something typical for everyone on this podcast in the previous in a previous recording someone said i'm a rule breaker mm. so that's exactly the kind of like mavericks eh, that we want to interview but okay so you're a risk taker and you decided to quit your job for a next adventure mm-hmm. and and then what like wh- what happened It took me quite a while, I have to say, because, well, first of all, I was still not completely rested yet after, because I quit my job and I, like I did the rest of my time that I had to do, but I was still tired. So it was really difficult to each day to decide, like, what am I going to do now? Because I was really not used to having the whole day to decide what I was going to do. And it took me, I think, almost a year to get on some kind of schedule or to see what worked for me, what didn't work for me. So yeah, it was a it was a whole proce- process. And um, what worked for you then? What what was it? How did you deal with it? Well, I tried to deal with it. It wasn't some days I couldn't deal with it and it was hard. And yeah, I felt a bit lonely as well because I was used to having colleagues. And I think one of the things that I liked the most about my job was my colleagues. One of the reasons why I stayed so long because we, we were people. all yeah we were all working there part time and doing things on the side. So we were, you know, we had similar lives, I guess. So I had to like find my footing a little bit. But then uh, what helped for me was to kind of divide my day into tasks or, or things that I wanted to do and then plan ahead a little bit, but not too much, and then take it from there. And then it started growing. And then, of course, I also had a deadline for the book, so I really had to start, like, I think six months after I quit my job, I was like, oh, actually, the book needs to be done in less than a year. Okay. So that uh, that really helped me because, of course, it's a goal that you have to work towards. And I made a planning for myself to, like, one, write one chapter a month. 
So you quit your job, not knowing what the next job was going to be, but at least you were already writing a book. Yeah, eh? yeah, that helped uh, for sure, I think. Yeah. Because I knew that that was something that I was going to work on and I could feel that I didn't, I really didn't have the time that I yeah. wanted to spend on this when I was And how did you came up with the idea to write a book about it? Because I believe it all starts with an Instagram page where you show photography of like wealthy architecture that you, that you really love. Yeah, how, how did you decide Very organically. That? I okay. would say that everything I do has been um, super or- organic. Nothing was ever planned okay. or ever the idea. Like it just happened. Okay. It's like I said, I've always been really interested in the aesthetic, especially of the 50s and 60s, as long as I can remember from when I was in high school. And then I studied art history and then I, I, I learned about like the, the architecture from the period that was, of course, reflected also in the, the interior design and the things I already knew. And I had a friend in Brussels who's an architect and who told me at the time, like, actually, there's loads of great buildings in, in Brussels. I can take you on a tour sometimes, sometime if you like. So we went for the day and then I, yeah, I started taking pictures and I posted them on Instagram but it was just my friends following me it was never I mean I, I do have a background where I used to have a blog for years where I wrote about music and art and fashion and all kinds of you know it was the we're talking about like early like 2006 to 2010 I guess okay. so MySpace yeah, yeah. age I met the, <laughs> the people I wrote yeah. the blog with I, I met them through uh, MySpace so I was also I guess I don't know everything was like uh, for me the digital things were still very exciting like instagram was like whoa what's this i i, I definitely have a different perspective perspective on it now but at the time it's like oh it's cool to share pictures like this and then i was looking at these accounts of people someone in, in the uk or someone in czech republic who were basically exploring also this kind of architecture documenting it photo- uh, photographing it and i was like oh that's cool i want to do you know they really inspired me to do uh, what i do and then gradually I um I started instead of just photographing the facades of the buildings I started to ring the bell and ask the owners if I could also see the interior to see if there was any anything original that was still in okay. the house but that's interesting oh let me pause there because like <laughs> when I pause like uh when I'm walking down the street and seeing a beautiful house like I say this as a joke to people like ah oh, how fun would it be to just ring that doorbell and and say hey can I have a tour in your house but yeah. there's a difference between you actually doing that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, well, a thre- was it easy like, to you? Or? I wouldn't say it was easy. It got a lot easier. But okay. there was a threshold, like fi- both figuratively and literally, because you literally have to go over the threshold to, <laughs> yeah. to ring the bell. But once you start doing it, and I got a lot of good reactions, actually, from owners, because most of them are really passionate and they like to share it. And, so they saw it as a compliment, like, oh, yeah, you yeah, like yeah. my house. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And once I had a couple of good experiences, of course, it made me even more enthusiastic to do it more. And then as a hobby, I would go on these tours of these because there's there's organizations that have been around for a long time who, who organize tours in these kinds of homes. And I was like, well, maybe I can do a similar thing because the, the organizations that I knew and followed were both based in Brussels. But then I was doing most of my research in Flanders because I felt like there was still so much stuff to discover there that people didn't know about. So I was like, maybe I could, or maybe I could organize a tour, and maybe the owners would like to talk about their house. So after a while, I started. I asked them to do this, and then I started to organize the tours, and then I got more followers on Instagram because of this. And you asked the owners of well, the house, like, hey, can I tour people around your house because I really, really appreciate it and. They found it flattering. They they saw it as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. most of the time the owners would. So I I'm never the guide. I'm I'm the in between person. I'm the organizer basically. I do I do logistics. It's either the owner or there's like an an external guide. Okay. But most of the time it's the owner. 
I, I prefer it actually because they often know a lot about the house and then of course uh, there's also the personal experience because sorry yeah <laughs> as you say like the big the biggest thing of why I do I do what I do is because I'm extremely curious and it gives me an excuse to <laughs> look inside these houses and it's really nice to get that I get to share it also with people that come on the tours and then you get to learn about the history of the house but also of the people why they chose this house because it's not it's not always the easiest architecture to to live in either. It's people have to be passionate, yeah, to so live to maintain the kind for, of house. For the that. people listening, and you see a beautiful house, and you really want to see the inside of it, like just ring the doorbell. <laughs> yeah, why not? I'm not saying yeah. you'll always get a, a good yeah. reaction, but why not? Yeah, if you, I think they can. I'm a pretty enthusiastic person. I think people could tell that I was genuine, and that's why they let me have a look around and. And now it even works where I ring the bell and they're like, oh, yeah, I know the project. That's so cool. Thank oh, you. That's nice. So that's nice. Yeah. That's so you you rang the doorbell, you gave, well, uh, you organized some tours yeah? mm -hmm. and your Instagram following today is around like 30,000 followers or something like that. So there's definitely like a niche audience uh, yeah, for yeah, that. For sure. But w when was the moment that you really went from, oh, this is me posting with friends to like, oh, but this is becoming a thing now. Uh, I don't know if I ever really had this. I don't really remember any. Or do you just have 30,000 friends? <laughs> I guess kind of, yeah, it feels like that. It's because okay. it's like yeah. a community. Yeah. And why I love what I do is also because people on Instagram will send me photos like, oh, have you seen this house? Or do you, do you know about this house that's for sale or this interior? Or do you know about this architect? So it doesn't feel so real. And then on the other hand, also I try to be very realistic. It's, sure, it's 30,000 people, but also it's virtual. So... I try yeah. not to put too much yeah. weight on Like for a while, I was a bit stressed about it. But then I got more followers. I was like, oh, people are taking it so seriously. And mm -hmm. but then I was also like, oh, whatever, it's just the internet. Yeah. I yeah. try not to take it too seriously, to be honest. I think people are like, oh, you're an influencer. And I mean, I guess it's true, but it's also still just social media. And sometimes I, I try and think to myself, like, what if Instagram didn't exist? Like, would this project still exist? Yeah. I hope it would. <laughs> I think it um, would. You also said something interesting a few minutes earlier. You said to me, like, hey, Robin, everything happens so organically. Everything just, mm -hmm. like, happens. But it happened because of a reason, probably. What, what is that reason? Did you just always, like, went with your gut feeling? Or did it really yeah. over overcame you? Or, or yeah. No, more my gut feeling, I think. I have a very strong intuition that I follow. Yeah, it's always been... I think think it's gotten stronger as I as I've gotten older. Like I've I've always kind of tried to trust my instincts, even if it wasn't what other people thought was a, a good idea. Um, yeah, just it, it feels like to me like you have to do it. There's not even like a question of doubt. Or of course, there's logistics that you have to think of. But mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I I think the older I get, the more I realize like it's not that I want or need a lot of money. It's like the freedom is for me is the most important or to to do the thing that the freedom you, of to do what you love what you love and to have time to do what you like and then if you have more time then for example if you have more time you can uh, if you buy things then you have more time to find like things secondhand or things that cost less money if i mean of course i'm talking also from a a, a place of priv privilege you know i'm a, i'm a group middle class i'm sure that if i came from another position i would think about this differently mm -hmm. but this is yeah i just try to be real like i don't need i don't need that much money and i will be much happier if i can do what i like and if someone would ask you like hey okay you follow your intuition 
I'm sure you've met people who are not always following their gut feeling or their mm -hmm. intuition. Mm -hmm. I love to give the, the listeners like a sneak peek inside of your mind. Like, okay, but how does that look like when you follow your gut feeling? Like, how does that process work? Oh, it's a good question. I don't know. I just, it really feels to me like I have no other choice almost. Like, I feel like I have to do, I have to do this. And then I do it. And it's not that it's always the easiest choice, but looking back, it was always the right choice, you know? So I guess the older you get and the more you make these decisions, the more you realize that it's the right decision. And it does help that I have so, like a supportive network, I guess. And especially my mom is super supportive. Of, okay. Yeah, because I think she she always tried to do this herself as well, even if it wasn't always possible. But she's because she for her, it wasn't always so easy. She tries to be super supportive of me and my siblings. And of, what do you mean for her? It wasn't so well, easy. Well, if you have enough. a family, I guess it's huh. less or yeah. there's I don't know. It's. Uh, or different or her family wasn't so supportive okay. with that so i think uh, i'm pretty sure that if it wasn't for her also it would be different yeah okay she's very she's like my biggest fan she was also the person that told me after i quit my job like you shouldn't go looking for another job you have to focus on tourism modernness and see that's what happens. nice <laughs> yeah and i know that it's very exceptional because yeah. everyone around me even you know people that are my age would be like are you crazy you don't even know what you're gonna do you're gonna quit this job Mm -hmm. yeah i can see and i try i do try to inspire other people as well and be like if i can do it you can do it you know it's yeah this, and also even i also know like what's the worst thing that could happen maybe i'll go three months without a job and then i'll just look for another job and there's always jobs you know if you need money and there or there's always a solution somewhere that I is don't know. true i try not to freak out too much even though i'm a very i'm a huge control freak actually maybe it's also because i know all the options that i take the risk i guess it's all like the options? A, what do you well, mean? Well, because I think of all the the risk I take, it's like a, a calculated yeah, risk. Yeah, calculated right? risk. Mm -hmm. I do think about the consequences and the things that could happen, but then I also think like, what's the worst that, that could happen, you know? So when you follow your gut feeling, you also think about like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely okay, someone that worries a lot or has a lot of anxiety, but I don't know. I just feel like there's, I'm not in a bad position. You know, if you... If you have a little bit of savings, you can, there's some time that you can bridge. And even then there's, I think in, in Belgium, there's, we have a pretty good social security mm -hmm. system as well. And I heard, I heard this from a lot of people, like in the beginning, they recognize this gut feeling. They recognize this intuition. Like, I think I found my passion, but I'm afraid I'm, I have anxiety. I have fear. Like they are feeling insecure, feeling doubts, um, is that something that you recognized? And also, like, how did you deal with those feelings? Oh, yeah, I definitely had a lot of doubts. Actually, for a while, I was like, oh, I don't even know if I like, I'm into this modernist architecture anymore. Because it, it, I didn't like, I didn't really know how to fill my days. I, I definitely struggled in the beginning. But I, I got to have more of more of a structure. It really helped. And I, I was also seeing a therapist at the time who really helped me with this specific question that I had. I was like, I'm struggling, like, I quit this job to follow my passion and I get to write a book and I'm not even excited about it. Like, what do I do? Help me. <laughs> and I think it, she really helped me in just being like, okay, just look at it day per day. Don't try to, because I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm a control freak and I try to think like really far into the future. Or, Of course, and also you compare yourself to others and then I just try to take a step back and realize like how lucky I am that I get to do this. And uh, yeah, then everything just kind of fell into place, I guess. But it made sense for me that, of course, if you come from a nine to five job and then you get to divide your time, it seems like a dream. But actually, a lot of the people I talked about, uh, I talked to about this were like, oh, my God, this is my nightmare. I, I don't know how I, how I would be able to fill my days, you know, 
because you're not you're not used to also you're kind of outside of the system also that that was for me because of course all my friends were at work when I I mean I was also at, at work but I was really used to doing what I like tourism is I did it next to my job I was used to doing it in the evening on Friday which was my day off because I was working and then four days a week and suddenly you got to work on it yeah on a full day but you mentioned that you yeah in the beginning it was a bit struggling but then you found a structure what, yeah. what, what is that structure to you that that works uh, uh well it changed a little bit over time i have to say in the beginning i was trying to be really structured like really divide my day even if it was like in the morning i do yoga then i i, I run some errands and the afternoon i will i will contact some people that day i'll go to that place and discover some things now it's a little bit more loose But that's also because there is more work already, like people are contacting me or I get more assignments, which was different at the time. Um, but for me, I really try to plan like maybe one one thing a week or one thing every two weeks where I really go and visit a place. And then I just like I kind of go back to how I started, like I just walk around and I take photos and I ring the doorbell and then I know why I do what I'm doing. Because Otherwise, I guess you can kind of get back into the system like oh, I have to send emails or I have to do, get organized. I don't know, just yeah now you focus on the essence like and the essence of it all is like just ringing doorbells asking people if i can take pictures asking if you can do tours uh, and so on yeah it's like just i try to map <coughs> this kind of ar architecture as much as possible like try to um put it out there for people to see like kind of make it more visible because it's it's a heritage that's very much at risk like a lot of it is being torn down or renovated And that's also something that's changed since I quit my job that I, I really see the value now of what I do, where before it was more like it's a hobby, you know, like I didn't see what I would bring that's of any value. But now I can tell that because people I have a following and then I guess the voice is not just mine, but it's more than me. And I hope we can make a difference in, in keeping this heritage in the future. And that I think that's also what makes why I feel really good about what I do right now because it feels much more fulfilling and like I have I know more what the goal is like mm -hmm. of course I wanted to document this but there's like a bigger goal where it's like you want to you know you want to keep this heritage you want to preserve it for the future and it would be nice to inspire other owners or other people that maybe want to buy this place or, or have one something like this in the family or I don't know and that's also the nice thing about doing the tours because then people get to meet offline as much as I like the online thing it's It's really nice to see the yeah. community, I guess, offline. And you mentioned, like, I have following. So you actually, like, embraced it. Like, you... you, you yeah, know. I guess because I have a, quite a, a personal contact with everyone. I mean, it's not that I'm constantly uh, yeah, sending yeah. direct messages with all my followers. But if they send me a message, I'll always reply. And it's often super interesting. <laughs> and that's a nice feeling to have. And then a couple of months ago, there was a building from the 1950s from this important architect that was being threatened with demolition and I started a petition and so many people signed so that was really cool to see awesome. even though they did tear it down in the end oh yeah I was going to ask but oh, they still yeah. did we tried and um, I'm curious like if someone just found, discovered their passion and they're in that same phase in the beginning of like oh, I'm having doubts I'm having fear like what would you say to them because you already faced this yourself mm. and then you found something that worked for you what would you say to them give it some time and I think it's normal to you need time you, like I don't think you start anything and the next day you know what you're gonna do like it's it's it will grow and also talk about it to people it really helped me to talk about it and, and realize that I'm, I'm not alone even if people are not in the same position as me everyone could definitely relate to to what I was go like they said like yeah of course it makes sense when I told them like yeah it's hard because now I get to fill 
every day myself and then I feel ungrateful because I chose for this and now I'm not even happy with my decision. They're like, well, I would feel the same in your, if I was you. So I think that helped me. Um, and who should they this. go to, to, to talk with or, or go out? Oh, that's yeah. a yeah. difficult question. I have, I'm lucky that I have some of my closest friends are in, in my visit to me, so in the, the legal entity, that's my organization. The non-profit. Yeah. yeah, non-profit organization. And they have uh, similar interests to mine, I guess, it's part of why we're friends. And I do go to them often for advice or I'll send them an email, also with a book when I had questions. So I guess if, I don't know, I guess I have a pretty big network, which feels good and I, I'm pretty open. Um, I don't mind being vulnerable mm -hmm. and, and sharing stuff and then other people do the same. So I guess maybe just be open and I don't know, even if you don't know that people, th that person, maybe if you uh, talk about something with someone who does something similar, maybe they're open to have a, having a conversation. Or, yeah, uh, just like how we ended up in your sofa. Like <laughs> yeah, we it's just true send you a message uh, because exactly. we were convinced on Instagram. yeah on Instagram and it worked so mm -hmm. yet here we are so mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> to the people listening like just reach out to uh, the people that seem like-minded and that yeah, seem I think so. helpful to you it's not like everyone will always reply but I'm sure there's someone and that, that's especially the positive thing about an online community I think that you're what more, do you mean yeah. you're more reachable than ever you yeah. don't have to live in the same country or I'm also in touch with a woman who who's doing a similar thing to me in the UK and who's been doing it for years. There's a project called Modernist Estates. Okay. And she asked me in during the lockdown in 2020, she was the person who asked me to make my first walking guide of Brussels because I didn't have I didn't really have like money to invest at the time. And she's like, "Yeah, I'll pay you some and then I'll, I'll print them and we can both sell them." And that that was really like it's something that I had been thinking for a while like, oh, "I'd love to make a walking guide because people are always asking me like, "Where's this house? Where's that house?" And it's something that's easy to do and like it's like a manageable task. And because she asked me and I realized loads of people were interested that that then propelled me to do to make more of them myself, you know. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I, I don't think you're ever alone in what you're yeah. doing. I would feel very lonely if it was just me. And I saw this immediately on your Instagram, like, okay, so what can people buy from you? Well, your book, your, your tours, but also your guides. And so I was already like thinking about, oh, interesting business model and so on. Uh, like, <laughs> are there any other things that you could do with, with it? Yeah. I also do a location scouting, which is one. So one of my friends who's in the nonprofit, she works as a producer. And for many years, she's been saying like, oh, all the places you go to will be so good because sometimes you really ask for a specific like, modernist location or like a, maybe a location with, that has a lot of wood that's from the 50, sorry the 50s or the 60s it will be a good business model and I was always like yeah maybe one day when I have time and that's one of the things that I also realized like okay now I have to time I have the time and she she helped me to make a database and it's also part of the it's not that I get this question so often but I think it might might be more in the future of course it's very it's very specific so I think if people need it they will find me I noticed that you're really living a different life now because there's definitely a before where you had mm -hmm, your work mm -hmm. and then at night you worked at uh, your passion uh, but now like there's this like go with the flow well you, yeah, you, yeah your true. own flow uh, your own mm -hmm. structure but there's definitely like a before and after so i'm curious the people that are listening like uh, why should they follow their passion like what were the, all the benefits that you are experiencing right now thanks to you coming out of this burnout and, and, and surviving it and, mm -hmm. and, and just following your gut feeling. What, what are all the benefits of that? Oh, I think number one is that you're much happier. Uh, obviously, so I guess it's an obvious one, but and it's much for me, it's much more fulfilling. 
because I did feel like in my old job, like I was helping people, which was fulfilling, but then it was always kind of anonymous, I guess. Like I could see all these people were doing creative work and I was just doing the paperwork. Maybe feel like, damn, I wish I could be the person that was doing the creative work, you know? Or like, I guess I was already kind of doing it, but not as much as I wanted to. So I think that's, yeah, the number two is very, it's much more fulfilling. And then I have more ener energy as well, I think. Because, because you're doing more of what you love yeah, to do. Yeah, but I also try to be very, very realistic. And my job, or like my job, is not my identity. I also try to focus on other things besides what mm -hmm. I do. Because A, I would get tired of it. And B, life is more more and than this. You know? I noticed you said job with parentheses. Uh, <laughs> like, that's probably yeah. because it doesn't feel like working. No, not really. It still feels weird to say my job. I mean, it is my job. Yeah, I do. Um, or I mostly say like this. Is, I don't say it's my job. I just say I do this full time, which feels more yeah. <laughs> more like You're fitting to full time happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, nice. no, I wouldn't say that. Ah, okay. <laughs> but I don't think anyone is full time happy. Yeah. But I'm definitely much more content than I was in the in the past. Yeah. So the reason that people listen to this podcast is because we not just only want to inspire them, but also give them practical advice mm -hmm, that they can mm -hmm. use. Maybe there are people listening who are feeling stuck in their current situation and are looking for a way out, looking for more options. So what is your advice? What would you say to people who want to follow their passion but don't know what they're passionate about yet? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. A difficult question. Maybe for yourself, like... Did you always know, like, ah, oh, uh, yes, th this is what I'm No, the opposite. Okay. I think until two, three years ago, I was like, oh, well, what am I going to do with my life? And, like, I still haven't found the kind of job that I love. But I think I was also seeing it more from the perspective, like, your job has to be, like, the your big passion, the, the one thing you love. And now I also, I think I see it more from a perspective, like, there's this is not the only thing that I love. I can also love other things and do other things. And I'm not just this. I'm also other things. I think that's also more important that you zoom out. And it's not that because you see on all these things on social media, that this is reality, you know, no one's life is perfect ever. I think that's also a good thing to, to keep in mind and maybe just try and do <coughs> things that you like. And mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to give a specific advice. I try, I would say it also try not to put too much pressure on yourself and yeah, just, I don't think people, I, I think it's changing now, but a lot of the things you see are not real online on social media yeah. yeah i'm curious you said about two three years earlier i i was in that same situation yeah. like oh, i didn't know what i'm going to do with my life oh, i need to follow my passion i know but yeah well, what's my passion like what is the one like i i, I asked before already aha moment but like there there definitely was this pivot moment of like mm -hmm. hey you know what I, I just love the arch architect side of like those 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 modern buildings. Something inside you was like, well, screw it. I'm just going to do that, right? Yeah, I think it was, I mean, it was garnering a bit more attention than before. And I got a lot of good response and I could see that it was growing, but I never had the time. Like people were saying like, oh, you could do this or, or that. And I would always probably like, yeah, sure, if I had the time, but I never have enough time to do all these things. So I did feel like, okay, maybe now I can make the time and then see what comes of it? I think that was a... How did you make the moment. time? When I quit my job. Ah, yeah. So it was really like a black and white decision. Like, okay, yeah, I, guess I I'm quit a... this, so I have more time to do this. Okay. Yeah. I'm a pretty black and white person, though. So I think it depends okay. on the... Yeah, I... I'm trying to be a bit more gray, but... <laughs> Just be you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. And 
I also hear, hear from a lot of people like some excuses, like, yeah, but I, I, I found my passion. I know what I'm passionate about, but I don't, ha I don't have the money. I don't mm. have the money for it. So. I don't think it has. You have to think in terms of money. Maybe you can, maybe you can start working part time and then start investing more time just in, in what your passion is, even if you don't have to invest money. And then maybe that can come over time. Like it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's something that has to grow. And I guess you you can figure it out in the in the future. But it's I don't think. Well, it depends on what you do, of course. I mean, some passions I'm sure will cost more money than than others but start small and also i think it's i don't know i think people just ha don't have a very realistic view always of how a lot of people start out or i think they just see like once the person got there they only see that side and they don't see what all the struggle they had before or the different jobs they were juggling or the you know yeah i think i think people do make excuses a lot of the time because it feels safer somehow mm -hmm. um, did your environment change did the people around you change when you once you decided to go after it yeah i think there were, i mean most people i don't know i guess i'm surrounded by really good people but they were all really supportive i yeah. think i was actually the if i think about it i was the person i was always like but you know I, i couldn't do this as a job or like i couldn't like maybe a bit too humble about it but i i i really don't like it when people are t are not humble I don't know. Yeah. I find it really important to stay grounded. And yeah, I notice this when I'm talking to you. You're yeah. still like, I think it doesn't matter to you if if you have like thirty thousand followers no. or thirty million followers. Like, well, maybe there's a bit more stress for, <laughs> for for a few days. But then, like, you seem to the the kind of person who would like self relate. Uh, yeah, yeah, I try mm -hmm. to. I think it's a, a very important trait to not see yourself as the center of whatever. Like. Sure, the work I do is important, but but on the big scale of things, it's it doesn't really mean anything. Mm -hmm. And I asked it before, um, but like the people who, okay, so the, so they can say, oh, I don't have the money, I don't have mm. time. Well, your answer is obviously make time. Mm. Just mm. throw time at it, and then like everything will will be okay. But what if they're just like really really afraid, really scared of like oh, making the jump? Yeah, maybe you had that as well. Those moments. Yeah, definitely. I think it helps when people believe in you, of course, and they they're the ones that are support. I think for sure that it was like that with me, where people around me were saying like, yeah. But maybe you should give it a try um, what if no one believes in you hmm. I, th i mean if it's your passion it's not gonna go away you know and it's not if you're really passionate about something it's something that comes from you and this is always going to be a part of you anyhow it's not and also i don't think because it's your passion that it has to be your job i think maybe people are too much as i said before like Osfrim is like i have to find the perfect job but there is no perfect job maybe for you it works better to work three days a week in a nine to five job and, and feel safe in that with money and then do something on the side and even then it can grow i don't think you always have to take the huge step it's interesting because now I mean, it's not that black and white anymore <laughs> no it's true but maybe i'm just thinking more about how i grew into this you know mm -hmm. or i just had like a, a mindset where i was like okay maybe i'll have not not that much i mean enough money but not that much money but i'll have more time and that's what matters most to me more time so you can to have, do the things you love yeah so you're much happier yeah yeah exactly and that's the essence of it all right yeah for me for sure i just always try to tell people like if you die tomorrow like would you regret i mean it's a that's a huge sentence like if you die tomorrow but that's the one thing that people see on their deathbed like ah, i regret not have, having more time spent with my family i regret not taking more time to relax or do the things that i like 
I think, but of course, it's. I think it's very difficult because in this society we're really told to just be productive, 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 productive. And I also try to step back from that, especially since I had the burnout, where I realized I really put a lot of pressure on myself to always be working. But because it was my hobbies, I didn't see it as working. I think that was a difficult. Maybe that was a aha moment where I realized, like, ah, actually, it's also work. And it's good to invest time in it. But the difference was it was your hobby. You chose for it regardless of the money because it's something that you love to do. Mm-hmm. And the consequence is that it didn't feel like work. No, no. Now it sometimes feels more like work because I have, of course, also the boring side of it, like the admin and everything. Yeah. But even then, you you know why you do it. You know, yeah. it's. I think the biggest thing for me is the fulfillment. Like I feel much more fulfilled with, with what I do and... Even if it's just on a very small scale, I make kind of a difference. And it's so nice because then I get messages from people who send me photos like, oh, I did the walk today in, in Lack and it was so nice. Thank you. We loved it. And, and that's thanks to you. Be- yeah, and that yeah. feels super good. Especially now with the book, I think it makes a huge difference because I sure I did the walking guys and everything, but it was for a very niche audience that was already following me. And for the book, the editor asked me to make the book. And I, I, I thought about it for quite a while. They asked me during COVID, so it... I had some time to think anyway and I was like, I'm not ready for a book. Like, I don't know enough. And then they said, maybe you can do like a couple of walking routes in the book, you know, that get, that could be manageable. And I realized like, okay, that I could do that maybe. And now, of course, because they, they're distributing it, it's even being distributed abroad and everything. Interesting. It reminds me of what your uh, therapist said, like breaking it down into smaller steps because yeah, that helps you me. were a bit overwhelmed by the idea yeah. of like, oh my God, I have to write an entire book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then your publisher said, well, oh no, just you already have your guides, just include them in the book and mm-hmm. then start doing that. So mm-hmm. that also helped. Yeah, yeah, I think that's for me personally, it's a big thing. It's true. Okay. I do get a bit overwhelmed, like, oh, I'm not sure I can do this. And then once you break it down into smaller things, like, oh, okay, yeah. I've done yeah. this before and I could probably do it. Are there any other like tools or like tips or, or advice or whatever, things that, that work for you that you discovered in the past two, three years? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing is I'm not I'm not afraid to ask anything, which means, you know, I ring the doorbell and I ask, can I see your house? But even before that, I was organizing cultural events and I wasn't afraid to ask other organizers just stupid things like, oh, we don't have enough chairs. Can we use your chairs? And we never got a negative reaction. I think you, people should just try and try and not be afraid to ask things. I think that's, the, for me, the biggest takeaway because I always it was always nice to to meet these other people and see other people that are also passionate about what they're doing. And they're even if they couldn't help, they were like, oh, well, we can't help, but good luck. Yeah. You know, I think don't be afraid to ask just in general, I guess. Because if you would have been afraid to ring doorbells, Mm-hmm. You would never have the Instagram page. You would never have the book. You no, would never true. have the tours. No. And we even wouldn't be sitting here recording a podcast. Uh, yeah, it's true. Exactly. So you just, this is a quote from another episode, you just felt fear and went through it anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's true. But I, I have to say that I'm, uh, compared to other people, I'm probably less afraid to ask for things. I think... It, you would be such a great real estate agent. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Ringing what, doorbells, houses, it's can I true. Buy your house? Yeah, I do work with some real estate agents that are specialized in this architecture, which is really nice to work with them. Okay. But also, what mm. I think what's for me is important is that my goal. I mean, it is a nonprofit, so I'm not commercial. 
Yeah. And that's, for me, maybe one of my most important values. Because I don't come from the corporate world or whatever. I always had just like a, a part-time job on the side, never anything with any pre prestige or... And I don't care about any of that stuff. Uh, what would happen if you would make it commercial? Mm, I think it would feel, for me, not feel no longer feel authentic of course at a certain to a certain degree it is also commercial you know when i do the location scouting it's for a campaign or it's a photo shoot and that's like the commercial side of it but what i do is i try to preserve this heritage and that's a very non-commercial thing like there's no big money in it mm -hmm. you know i mean who knows what will happen in the future but yeah the most important thing is that you just do the things that feel right to you yeah exactly and then maybe money could be uh, exactly, like yeah. a consequence of that but it doesn't necessarily have to be no right no exactly okay wow. well that's my point of view <laughs> okay i want to wrap up today's uh, episode because it's already filled with a lot of golden nuggets of wisdom <laughs> so thank you for that i always ask at the end do you have anything to plug or promote to our audience mm -hmm. where can they find you on social media yeah here's the stage take take it <laughs> uh, yeah you can find me i guess the easiest way to find me is on instagram at tourist modernist so t-o-e-r tourist modernist and yeah i'm ha very happy to say that i'm gonna start tours again from august on because uh, the book was released in april and i haven't done any house tours since february because it was too there was too much with the book like i needed some time to yeah i needed some downtime after And I also didn't have so much time to visit other houses because I was always visiting for the book. So now I'm taking more time for that and there's a, it's filled for the rest of the year. So there will be one visit a month and you can subscribe through the newsletter. And I guess also just my book, yeah. It's in the most bookshops. Try and buy from an independent bookshop if you can. They do sell my books and or online through my publisher, Luster, as well. Uh, that's it, I guess. Awesome. And thank you. And it's also a really unique item to have on your coffee table. Have it as like, I call it the coffee table book. That is that like when people uh, visit you and they're like, oh my God, what an interesting book. And then like they, they start mm -hmm. going through it. So uh, it's ideal for that as well and many other uh, purposes. So Gerlin, thanks so much for being thank here you. today. Thank you.